The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk on 92.7 and 106 FM. The Money Show brought to you by ABSA CIB, driving action-led insights that create impact when actioned with collaboration. Through the Insight Series, APSA is a registered FSP. Welcome to the show this evening. We're going to look at the currency tonight. It's taken a huge beating. It really is quite distressing to see the value of the currency fall to the extent that it has. A decade ago, a 10 rand to the dollar, now very nearly 20 bucks to the dollar. Uh, it's been slightly worse. That was in May last year, but it's very close to those worst levels. Kyle Cowan at News24 has got the most astonishing tale to share with you this evening of the 80-year-old corporate lawyer, the missing 39 million rand and a trust fund, and why one of South Africa's biggest law firms didn't have better oversight on this particular partner. GFECRA, this is the new acronym, uh, a former National Treasury insider, Michael Sachs with us this evening, just to give us a, a real simple guide to what it is. We'll play the Brutal Biz Quiz. We'll play the best bits of the money show. There's a lot to come. And, of course, the Friday File. Now, tonight on the Friday File, uh, it's a, a motor vehicle brand. It sounds like this. Do It's throaty. It's gutsy. It's thirsty, no doubt. Are we playing it? Because I can't hear it. Listen to the poor birds. Okay, I think it's enough for showing off from do. We don't need to know how you're driving home this evening. Uh, but what car is that? O double one eight eight three zero seven zero two zero two one four four six zero five six seven. You can tweet us. You can send us a voice note, a WhatsApp voice note. And if you're driving one, and you'd like to compete, hopefully nowhere near birds, uh, give us a call. Five million rants for a new one. What car is it? Give us a shout. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. The astonishing story today of a lawyer who gives even lawyers a bad name. A forensic investigation underway as to how corporate lawyer, 80-year-old Solomon Slom, allegedly stole 39 million rand from a trust account of a wealthy client over nearly five years. Now, Google the words lawyer, trust fund and fraud, and it'll throw up hundreds of articles from all over the world. It feels like this is, for some lawyers at least, a bit of a side hustle. Generally speaking, however, it's not something that happens in large law firms. I'm curious about this. Kyle Cowan is investigative journalist at News24. What do we know, Kyle, about the innards of this dreadful tale? Not much at this point, Bruce. You know, it's very early stages. And and what we can say with relative surety is that between 2018 2019 and 2024, uh, Mr. Slom apparently withdrew 39 million rand in numerous transactions from this client escrow account. And to be fair, the money was sitting in this account since 2018. Um, It's part of a transaction that there's some dispute over who the money now belongs to. And, you know, the law firm Fluxman's has been very clear to say it was the only account that he had under his control, but they're checking out all the other accounts Anyway, so far they, they seem relatively confident that everything's okay. It's, it's really a great mystery because not a lot is understood about why exactly the, the how is, is quite clear. He simply transferred the money out of the account. 
but the why is still uncertain. Uh, it's massively embarrassing, of course, for Fluxman's. This is a top-tier law firm. It's got a big reputation to defend. This is a partner. This isn't some junior uh, trainee lawyer. This is somebody who's been with the business for 24 years. This is somebody who is 80, um, who has run his own corporate law firm, we led to believe, somebody who should be above reproach. And for some reason... Is, looks like has helped himself. Certainly, Fluxman's wants to prosecute to the full extent of the law. Um, and so th- this is a, a deadly serious matter. But one would yeah. think that big law firms of this kind, this isn't a small town law firm, would have better checks and balances, would keep a better eye on people with signing power on trust accounts. No, 100%. And, and I also do have to raise the question about, you know, who audited these accounts and, you know, Absolutely. trying to establish that. Yeah. Because... If, if it had happened in the space of two to three weeks and the money was gone and they picked it up, um, you know, it would be a different story. But this was a slow and, you know, it appears to have been a slow and steady methodical process. And how you go through at least four financial, financial years without your auditor saying, well, is this account in order? What's going on here? You know, and these sort of things. And, and also, you know, I'm, I don't know. They, we, we don't know who the clients are at this stage, who the money actually belonged to. But I would also I would also wonder if you have quite a large sum of money sitting in, in escrow somewhere, why you wouldn't want, you know, at least a monthly or a quarterly statement on, on that money to see that everything is all in order. And the only thing that I can I can suspect at this stage and speculate about is that the fraud behind this money being transferred out of this account must have been quite sophisticated, I think, to fool, like you said, not only his, his fellow partners, but also auditors and the Exactly. I mean, trusts by the very nature, they're legal entities. They are obliged to file audited financial statements each and every single year. Um, This is a guy with a seemingly, I mean, not everybody likes him, but not everybody likes everybody anyway. You you do speak to people who say, no, this is a great guy and guys and others who don't like him. Uh, Clearly somebody with a a fearsome reputation in corporate law who at the age of 80 still working. Um, And there's no way of knowing why in the real sunset of his career, he's taken this extraordinary mm. step, apparently, um, to help himself yeah. to money. And um, I guess there's going to have to be an, an audit of many previous years of, of, of work by mm. him as well. No, certainly. And, and you know, I think, you know, my, my, my understanding from the Joint Chief Executive Officer of Fluxman, Mr. Colin Strime, was that they are they doing everything they can, obviously, now, after the fact, to sort of make sure that everything's okay, go back, look over everything. And I'm sure that they will identify weaknesses. I mean, as, as you very rightfully point out, this was the only account, escrow account, that Mr. Slom had under his control. But he managed to get away with this for quite some time. So there's an obvious weakness here. And I think this could be a very valuable lesson, not only, you know, for myself as an investigative reporter and other attorneys who, who may suspect that something is untoward in trust accounts, but I think this should be at least one of the very many recent examples that we have to show that the way that these trust accounts are managed by attorneys, specifically, you know, around so uh, I've been thinking of one case in the Eastern Cape specifically. Something has to change here. Yeah. And I think that we have to ask why the master's office who has an you know, ultimate oversight of a trust is not doing more. Yeah, well, uh, talk to people about the master's office. Uh, Kyle Cowan, thank you very much indeed. No, nobody's got anything nice to say about the master's office. Barney in Brits in Northwest. I asked you earlier what car is making this sound. <laughs> Enough, thank you. Which is, which is it, Barney? Uh, this one, uh, I'm thinking, not a wild guess, I know for a fact, this is a Ford Mustang. 
I, I, I'm not taking a wild guess either, and I know for a fact it's not a Ford Mustang. Ouch, ouch. This is this is this is this is the rich man's Ford Mustang. This is this puts Mustang in the Sally Avenue. This is. A different kind of vehicle. It is the subject of our um, feature this evening, our feature on luxury, the Friday file. It is not a Mustang. It is throatier, more guttural, more gutsy, possibly, I don't know how green it is. But yes, uh, people love, love cars. People love cars. And I'm uh, new. Uh, well, there's one on Auto Trader. For about five million bucks, and it's got a thousand Ks on the clock. If you're willing to take one that's done fifty thousand Ks, you can get them for about three and a half million. Yes. Well, a new acronym entered popular use this week, and it's hard to tell if it'll ever catch on. The acronym is JFECRA, the Gold and Foreign Exchange Contingency Reserve Account. The biggest news in the budget this week is that government will access 100 billion rand from this account this year, 25 billion rand next year, and 25 the year after to bring the national debt burden, which is sitting over 5 trillion rand, under better control. What exactly is this thing and how did it get to this size? Well, Professor Michael Sachs is a former deputy. DG at the Treasury. He's Deputy Chair of the Finance and Fiscal Commission. Michael, please explain this to me, this Jafekra account. And uh, again, the, we've had lots of quite technical explanations this week. I'm hoping you're able to do it um, quite simply for us tonight. Jafekra, what is it? Let me try. Um, so, uh, many years ago, uh, South Africa bought uh, dollar assets and gold assets. And these are things that maintain stable value uh, for international payment. But of course, as the rand depreciates, the value of those assets increases in rand terms. They remain the same in dollar terms. Dollar is the stable currency here in a sense, and the rand is depreciating. So the rand value of those dollar assets increases. And this kind of creates uh, an accounting entry. This is accounted for on the Reserve Bank's uh, statement. And the question is, what do you do with this money? What is it and what do you do with the money? Because the RAND has been depreciating, I mean, I, I think you'll remember, uh, we, we, we can reminisce about 20 years ago, the value to the RAND to the dollar, but because it's been depreciating over this time, it's grown to an, an enormous value. And uh, almost 560 billion. And uh, this has raised increasing uh, flags. Uh, and in particular, I think global participants in global capital markets, investors in, in South African government debt, kind of picked this up uh, uh, year after year quite strongly. And it, it got very strong that actually South Africa doesn't need to accumulate liabilities, in other words, debt, as rapidly as it is doing because it has this large asset that can be liquidated. The question is, uh, and, and there's some, a lot of this is accounting smoke and mirrors. Yes. That uh, really arises from the fact that the South African Reserve Bank's balance sheet is not consolidated into the balance sheet of the whole of government. Uh, and so if it was, this would be pure and simple, the equity uh, that accrues to the, to the Reserve Bank. And when that equity uh, reaches a, a, a proper level, 
some of it would be dis- distributed to the treasury. Anyway, uh, this, this, is, this is important, Michael. Um, I mean, this is money that ultimately, um, when there's enough of it, does get funneled into the fiscus, right? This is what government it is, is the doing. Treasury's yeah. um, it, it, it's, it is the Treasury's money. Yeah. It's not unusual. I mean, it's a big announcement, but it's not that unusual. It is a big number, but it's not unusual to have money flowing out of the Reserve Bank and into Treasury, right? Well, uh, so I think uh, the, in South Africa, it is quite unusual. As I said, uh, it's, it's complicated. In most countries, in almost all countries in the world, the balance sheet of the Reserve Bank would be part of the public sector balance sheet. And this thing would be the flows, the management of these amounts would be a very simple thing. But because the Reserve Bank is owned privately, it has this kind of separate balance sheet that accumulates these funds. And there was, there's never been a system in place uh, that said, what are you going to do with it? And so it really reached uh, such a huge level that uh, in July this year, the Reserve Bank and the Treasury started discussing it. And they've announced uh, in the budget a very elegant solution, uh, I think, which is that um, the, the, it's, it's like you can think of a pool full of rand that is, the, that is growing and expanding simply because it, it represents a, a dollar value. Uh, and as the rand sinks, the pool of rands is expanding, and then it trickles over the edge of the pool. And the first, uh, and, and what they've said is that this is going to be a, a cascading set of waterfalls. So it first trickles over into a pool that there's going to be 250 billion rand that is there to protect us against uh, 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 the possibility that if there's a very strong rand appreciation, you will be left with a shortfall in this account. So 250 billion is set aside for that purpose. Then once that pool is filled and the water keeps trickling, it trickles over into a next pool, which is essentially a reserve bank equity pool. And it ensures that the reserve bank has sufficient equity on its books and it's it's able to pay uh, for the costs that arise when the water, once that equity pool is filled, and that's 100 billion, then it trickles over into the treasury's account. And because we're dealing with a very large amount now, more than 500 billion rand, this disbursement into the treasury account, we filled the first 250 billion account, we filled the 100 billion reserve bank account, and now there is um, another 150 billion left over for treasury. In future, as the rand depreciates, there will be um, disbursements on a regular basis of a much smaller amount. And uh, in a sense, we have uh, cushions. We have, well, we've used these financial arrangements to cushion uh, the treasury and the sovereign in a very good way, because this is the way it should work. When the rand depreciates, there's a cushion under the fiscus that is provided by this account. It explains, it's one of the reasons I suspect the Guptas were so easy to get control of the Treasury and no doubt the Reserve Bank because they saw this as money that was ripe for picking. It's why the many populists within politics want to nationalise the Reserve Bank even though it is an asset of Treasury, ultimately independent. And it is critical to this process that we do have a strong, independent Reserve Bank Governor with very clear rules on how this resource is used because the temptation to dip in and dip in and double dip in again in the future must be quite strong if we don't get the growth of which there is no sign. There are a lot of issues there. 
I mean, first of all, uh, as I said at the outset, this really is an anomaly that arises from the fact that the Reserve Bank's balance sheet is separate, and that is because it's privately owned. So in most countries, the word Reserve Bank would be nationalized, and that shouldn't affect its uh, policy, policy autonomy. Um, also, I think that there's a question that arises here about are we dealing here with, or, this is a question on the boundary of fiscal and monetary policy. And fiscal policy is the preserve in a democratic society of parliaments. Yeah. And uh, at the moment, we have elegant uh, financing solutions that are crafted and agreed uh, behind closed doors within Treasury and within the Reserve Bank that uh, there appears to be a reluctance to uh, legislate uh, and subject these, these decisions to kind of uh, popular oversight or, or parliamentary oversight. Uh, so Professor, I think there are a lot of questions to be raised there. Absolutely. Professor Michael Sachs, thank you very much indeed. Adjunct Prof at Wits University. Michael Sachs this evening, ex-Treasury Deputy Director General with a, I think, comprehensive explanation of Jafekra. Quick, uh, Bonganian Centurion, the, the guzzling engine you heard reminds you of your own. Uh, what car do you think it is? Uh, that is a BMW M5CS. I just love the confidence with which people are, that is definitely a Ford Mustang. That is definitely a BMW M5CS. I can tell you it's definitely not. Thank you, Bongani, very much. Um, yeah, please don't drive past my house. <laughs> we'll get to the big reveal coming up in our Friday file in a bit. Markets. Zuela Gimguni is Chief Investment Officer at Benguela Global Fund Managers this evening. And Zuelaki, please explain the RAND to me. The RAND worse today than it was in COVID, very close to March 2023's record lows. Is it all to do with interest rates cuts in the United States getting nudged out and out and out? Or is there a little bit of a Jafekra effect in here as well? Yeah, good evening, Bruce. Good evening to your listeners. I think uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there are uh, two factors. I think the delay in the uh, U.S. interest rate has played some role to, towards a weaker end. But I think we also have our own problems here. I think the, the more evidence that comes forth is essentially that uh, we might have a hung parliament uh, in the coming elections. And that creates a lot of uncertainty around policy. So uh, there is a bit of uh, uncertainty that goes in, in both directions. Yeah, most certainly. A couple of trading updates and updates today. City Lodge, a long way from its heyday, but oh, it certainly has recovered very markedly uh, from the dark days of pandemics and people not being able to book into hotels. No, certainly. I think I think uh, they they said their uh, occupancy levels are now at sixty one percent compared to fifty seven percent last year. Yeah. I think I think it is positive, but I think the market wasn't pleased with the result because uh, it doesn't look like it had a major impact, or at least the impact that was expected by the market on the on the earnings. So uh, the the share price was uh, down quite a bit today. I think it was down eight percent. Yeah, it's disappointing, I think, uh, based on the fact that there is definitely signs of, of a recovery. Also, a massive drop in profits for Tungela Resources, this is the coal mining company that used to be called Anglo Coal. They had the massive boon, of course, when Russia invaded Ukraine and the world energy markets went haywire and coal-fired power stations were opened up again. And I suppose that doesn't last forever and they're back to a more normalized sort of cycle. 
certainly if one look at the the price realized i mean that price has come uh, down quite quite a lot i think in the heydays that you're talking about it was probably over 300 dollar a, a, a ton and they've come down to significantly lower levels than that so so it has affected them and i think uh, the the demand is kind of normalized and they they're facing a bit more uh, challenging environment because now they have to end their keep rather than uh, being uh, given a windfall by the by the global markets like the Russian Beijing. Is there any logic? My goodness me, so like I've been looking at graphs <laughs> of Nvidia today. Four years ago, it was a one hundred billion dollar company, very significant, very big. Today, four years later, becomes the third company in history in the United States to reach a valuation of two trillion dollars. Uh, this time last year, I think it was worth a billion, a trillion dollars. Uh, it's doubled in a year. It's rocketed so far <laughs> this year, and this is because of the AI sort of hype cycle that is building. Is there any logic into the price you need to pay for an Nvidia share today? Look, Bruce, I, I think if we do the numbers, I mean, the the, the valuation is way above the the line. I think. Uh, at best, my most optimistic uh, uh, assumptions are only got to 570. So, so it's gone to 800. I mean, I, it's, it's something that is uh, worrying that uh, we are getting to a bubble territory because the market is actually rewarding them ahead of delivery. So, should there be any hiccup, particularly in the data center business, there could be a problem. And and I say this because the data centers have been upgrading their infrastructure for processing and storage. And at some point, you basically end up with a capacity utilization that is lower than what uh, uh, you have uh, installed. So if I make an example on that, so if you remember when fiber took over from copper, what happened was uh, the the fiber had so much capacity that the, the, the U.S. Uh, uh, internet providers had to cut their prices to basically reduce that uh, uh, to the, 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 the pricing to reduce the price and to basically get uh, more volume. I fear that the data center market might get into a situation where they've upgraded their infrastructure so much that the demand for storage and processing capacity is not uh, enough. And that's when we could see a big problem with uh, NVIDIA. But at this stage, I mean, uh, you can say whatever you like. Uh, the share price is running uh, like, like crazy. Like crazy. That is the word. Thank you as well. Like Mguni, Chief Investment Officer at Benguela Global Fund Managers. 702. Bruce is on The Money Show. The Money Show is brought to you by ABSA CIB, driving action-led insights that create impact when actioned with collaboration through the Insights Series. ABSA is a registered FS. P. On your next Money Show, Jonathan Akert, the Managing Director of a 165-year-old South African company. It's in the property sector. He's our guest on how I make money, insights, and on how to uh, really run a family business over decades. Also, the latest gadgets and gizmos with uh, Toby Shapshak, uh, tech with Toby, and all the big money stories, including watching the currency... On Monday's Money Show. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. So we've uh, played you this clip of audio of this particular motor car. And lots of you have come through with proposals as to what it is. Um, Is it an Aston Martin? Is it, as somebody suggested, a Mustang? Is it a BMW M5? One more listen. (laughs) 
Mark Smythe, who is a freelance automotive journalist. What is it? Put us out of our misery, Mark Smythe. Good evening, Bruce. Good evening to your listeners. I have to say, in terms of the audio clip, I couldn't hear it, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> well, you happen to know what it is because you've proposed it to us. It's the Bentley Bentayga. Now, I know nothing about the Bentley Bentayga other than looking at um, the websites, of course, and going through the websites. Auto Traders website has got several um, close to 3 million rand, and they've got you know between 35 and 65,000 kilometers on the clock. A more recent demo model in Cape Town for 5.8 million rand for the Bentley Bentayga. It's like, I don't know, an SUV with a Bentley, a Bentley's SUV, isn't it? Mark Smythe? No, we've lost Mark. We don't know where Mark has gone. Mark has gone into our system, which has devoured him and swallowed him. Or maybe he got hit by the Bentley Bentayga. It's a monster of a vehicle. And I just want Mark Smythe's confirmation that it is, in fact, the Bentley Bentayga. Uh, and we get to talk about not just the Bentley Bentayga, but the way in which the super rich are taking this vehicle, which is not good enough for them, and then Taylor making it specs for goodness knows how much more money. Do we have Mark Smythe with us? No, we don't have Mark Smythe with us. That is a great disappointment as we strive through the miracles of the internet to find him. What a pity that is. Are we calling him? Well, that's a relief. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Aiken had a, 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 did a, a webinar for some people the other day, and Jonathan Aiken happened to be on the same uh, on the same one. And he happened to mention that he was the fifth generation owner and managing director of this KZM-based company. And to my shame, I don't know Akats. Um It's not part of my... I haven't spent that much time in KZN over the years. Uh, and then I did a little bit of sleuthing on the internet and found out some phenomenal tales of this uh, very proud KZN company. Uh, Mark Smythe, let's try this again. Um, this was the Bentley Bentayga. Tell me all about the Bentley Bentayga. Yes, hello, Bruce. Sorry about that. Uh, technology and all that. Right. Um, so the Bentley Bentayga... Um, Kingfisher, uh, this one is particularly cool because it is a one-of-one one bespoke creation by Bentley's uh, customization or personalization division called Mulliner, which has existed since the 1920s, and uh, basically allows somebody with the kind of wealth required to go along to a manufacturer like Bentley or Rolls-Royce and say, I'm not so sure I want every uh, the kind of car that everybody else has got. I, I want uh, my own, a one-of-one, one. and that's exactly what this is, a combination of Kingfisher, Mandarin, and Imperial Blue. You've seen it. It is somewhat bright. It's, look, it's not to everybody's taste, but when you, again, uh, the regular Bentayga, now, is there a difference between the Kingfisher Bentayga and a regular Bentayga? Is a regular Bentayga just not good enough for those who, who don't have taste? Well, this is a slightly longer wheelbase, the extended wheelbase. So it's for people who want to stretch out a bit more in the back seats, possibly to be driven, although it does it has been ordered by a couple in California um, where possibly the, uh, the bright colors won't stand out as much. Um, it's a very common thing these days that we see people in you know, America or the Middle East putting wraps on their car where you actually use a film, apply it over the whole vehicle that might be 
any colour you desire, but certainly not necessarily one that's available from the manufacturer themselves. And, and that's where it's interesting with this Bentley, because for many, many years, uh, the company based in the north of England always said they would never make very gaudy colours. Um, they would, but they would never say no to a client. I mean, you don't say no to a Bentley client. Um, you just, they always said they would direct them in and move them in another direction. And I suppose if you have got that much money, um, and there are rude terms for that kind of money, um, so they're versions of stuff you money. If you've got the sort of money that is, you know, where, where uh, you know, five million rand or ten million rand is chump change, and it's the the equivalent of you going out and buying an entry level um, sort of I don't know um, Suzuki or whatever the case might be. Um, you treat your cars in that sort of way, then this isn't real money. But it's the sort of um, specialization and the sort of customization that you can order what anything within limits, or is there a palette from which you choose? Um, in theory, there shouldn't really be any limits. I mean, famously, about a decade ago, Dostain ordered a Rolls-Royce, um, had a famous design house in Italy called Pininfarina, um, who are well-known for their Ferrari designs, um, create uh, a, a very unique look that, again, is not to everyone's taste. Um, but that was very much a coach-built uh, one-of-one. Um Recently, Rolls-Royce has been creating what they call their um, things like their drop tail and their swept tail models, which are around about, I would say, 20 million euros a piece, um, three in each series. So, yes, we are talking serious money. And to an extent, I mean, everybody does it. Ferrari does it. Um, Lamborghini have done it um, for people who have that kind of money and want that a unique uh, vehicle. Uh, for the number of Bentleys, especially the Bentley Bentayga that I saw on Auto Trader, it suggests that there are quite a few Bentleys in South Africa. Not, uh, You don't see them on the roads that often. Uh, maybe I'm just not paying attention or looking in the wrong direction. Um, I wonder what the support is like in South Africa for a car which doesn't have a huge market. No, um, in terms of the agency, obviously manufactured in the UK um, and uh, distributed in South Africa. And, and there are dealerships and facilities in, I think, all major metropolitan really? centers. So they are available. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's often a source of surprise for a lot of people as to how many of these type of luxury models are sold. Um, South Africa is one of the biggest markets in the world for Aston Martin, for example. Um, Rolls-Royce, there are quite a few there. And the recently revealed first ever electric Rolls-Royce, the Spectre, they have quite a lot of orders for that in South Africa too. So, yes, it does do surprisingly well. Well, there is, you know, uh, the the upper echelons, a bunch of crumbs held together with a bit of dough, um, as somebody once used to tell me. Um, and people are choosing to spend their money on this. I suppose it does make you kind of theft-proof um, in terms of, you know, if somebody hijacks a Bentley, they're going to get stopped fairly quickly because the things do tend to stand out, particularly if they're covered in a, I don't know, bright purple foil or whatever the case might be. Um, it, it's kind of, it, it's it's got a certain um, element of exclusivity to it, which makes you perhaps a little safe on our roads yeah there is there is that that's very possible i mean you would need to in order to uh offload so to speak a vehicle in that circumstance you would need to put it into the back of a truck and and, and take it 
a special order over a border somewhere. And unfortunately, sadly, that does happen. But uh, yes, um, certainly a lot harder to shift than your average family hatchback or SUV. Um, and uh, yeah, the opportunity to be able to make a vehicle like this, uh, throw the right amount of money at it, um, and you can make it very much your own with interior uh, designs and things like embroidery and the headrests for your family initials, that's a common one, um, or to meet the theme uh, or design of your business. Um, we obviously see a lot around the world of hotels ordering maybe 10 Rolls Royces or Bentleys, um, with their logo and their same sort of finishing and design to them. Mark Smythe, thank you for illuminating us this evening on the Friday File. This is luxury, of course. This is the stuff of dreams, maybe the stuff of nightmares as far as you're concerned. Uh, but yes, that car that you heard earlier, the Bentley Bentayga. Um, it, and then you get the Bentley uh, Kingfisher Bentayga. And it really does so how the super rich increasingly are choosing to personalize even some of the most luxury vehicles in the world. It's no longer good enough to have a car like the other three people who have a car just like yours. You want it to be special. Oh, my goodness me. The lifestyles of the idle rich. Right, coming up in a moment, the Brutal Biz Quiz, which is what we like to do on a Friday, where we test you, where we tantalize you, where we taunt you, where we try to outwit and outmaneuver you. Let's see how good you are this evening. If you play it on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. First question tonight, Chris Liebenberg, Malusi Gegaba, Des von Royen and Ntlantla Nene all served as ministers in which department? Chris Liebenberg, Malusi Gegaba, Des von Royen and Ntlantla Nene all served as ministers in which department? Government Department, give us a shot on 011-8830702-021446-0567. Let's play the Friday night brutal biz quiz. This awkward silence was brought to you by a pineapple. Bruce Whitfield on The Money Show. 6 to 8 p.m. Brutal Biz Quiz time on a Friday night. Uh, Tokozani and Sakani was uh, through first. Uh, Chris Liebenberg, Malusi Gagaba, Des von Royen and Ntlantanene were all ministers of which government department? I fully remember the weekend special. It's <laughs> <be> finance. <laughs> oh my goodness me, it's like a nightmare. And the first two finance ministers in democratic South Africa were actually sent by the corporate sector um, to become the Minister of Finance. Uh, Derek Keyes from GenCor and Chris Lindbergh, the chairman of Nedbank, was briefly finance minister before Trevor Manuel took over and became the world's longest-serving finance minister of 13 years. Private Gordon did his first stint. He was then replaced by Ntlantla Nene, who then was meant to go to the BRICS Development Bank. He was then replaced for 92 hours by Des van Royen. That precipitated a rebellion in politics and business. And Pravin Gordon was brought back, but then eventually was knifed uh, uh, along, um, along with his deputy, of course, between 2015 and 2017. Then that well-known home movie maker, Malusi Gigaba, um, became finance minister uh, for a year or so. And Klantlanene then came back for a couple of months, but then was revealed to have not told the truth about going to meet the Guptas at their Saxon world Shabin. That precipitated the arrival of Tito Boweni, and he spent four years in the job and hated every moment, he tells us. And then Inok Gorongwana since 2022. So absolutely right. National Treasury, all finance ministers. Des van Rijn, 92 hours of 
<laughs> Real terror for the country. Boxer and TM supermarkets are owned by which retailer? Pick and pay. Absolutely right. Pick and pay announcing yesterday a 4 billion rand rights issue. They get to have a separate listing for Boxer. Share price fell 16% yesterday, recovered 8% today. Shine oh. and Timu are entities which operate in which space? Shine, S-H-E-I-N, and Timu are what kind of company? Um, uh, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> Dokozani, thank you very much for playing. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, thanks very much for playing. That was fun. Uh, Bruce in Johannesburg. G'day, Bruce. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, Shine and Timu are what sort of companies? Uh, online clothing from China. Yeah, e-commerce businesses, online clothing, absolutely. Um, worries, of course, that they're not paying the right levels of tax. Mpumi Zikalala runs which Anglo-American business? Bruce? Bruce uh, seems tongue-tied. Amantla in Rosebank. Pumi Zikalala runs which company in the Anglo-American stable? Amantla doesn't want to answer that question either. Oh, dear. Uh, I think it's Adelaide in Alberton. It's mining and she's busy with the iron ore thing going on there. Mining and the iron ore thingy. Um, it's the company is not called the iron ore thingy. It's you got you got two parts of. Th- it's a three part name. Iron ore thingy is not it. What is the name of the company? Uh, it's Anglo American. Uh, it's Anglo. It's. I'm going to be vicious and brutal because it is the brutal biz quiz. Uh, I'm afraid you've got two thirds of it, but two thirds ain't good enough. Uh, Muhammad, you basically be given the answer. Uh, Kumba Iron Ore. Kumba Iron Ore. Sorry, Adelaide. Not Iron Ore thingy, but Kumba Iron Ore. Jensen Wang is the co-founder and chief executive of the third most valuable company on the U.S. stock markets. What is the name of that company? Please turn your radio down if you can, uh, Mohammed. Uh, Pardon? You, I think you said it right. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, yeah. NVIDIA. Absolutely right. NVIDIA uh, is astonishing. In the last year, it's doubled in value, becoming only the third company in history to hit the $2 trillion valuation. Uh, and then Shamil Joseph is chief executive of which Vodacom. company? Vodacom. Vodacom. Absolutely right. I'm going to make you, Mohammed, the wizard of the Brutal Biz Quiz in Houghton. Uh, Mohammed becomes the whiz of the Brutal Biz Quiz this Friday night. Yeah, Shamil Joseph ordering senior staff to return to the office, ending the company's blanket hybrid work-from-home policies. Like most companies that could operate remotely during COVID-19, Vodacom allowed employees to continue working from home. Uh, until recently, Vodacom let all employees work from home twice a week when their jobs were allowed it. But no more. Also, going to the Constitutional Court next week over the Please Call Me issue. That's going to be an interesting case to watch. Uh, coming up in a few moments' time, Eyewitness News, followed by the best bits of the money show from the week that has been.